may be seated. Thank you, Paul, and everyone. Good morning. Hey, you're awake. It's rainy, and you could have slept in, but you're here. Way to go. Pat yourself on the back. That's great. Uh, My name's Slate, and um, I'm on staff here, and I'm just so thankful to be here with you this morning. Um, I don't know about you or how y'all roll in your family, but this past fall, uh, our family has feasted on a steady diet of SEC football. Now, um, in, in, in doing this, I don't know what's really happened behind the scenes with like all the cable and marketing and all this other stuff, but it seems to me there's like five companies that advertise on SEC football. And so we see the same commercials over and over and over again. And I uh, found myself just loving and laughing every time I saw this one commercial by Geico. And so I want to take 30 seconds and let you enjoy this with me. Can we, can we roll that commercial? We love our new home. There's so much space. We have a guest room now. But we have ants. You're slouching again, Ted. Expired. 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 Thanks, Aunt Bonnie. It's a lot of house. I hope you can keep it clean. At least Geico makes bundling our home and car insurance easy. Which helps us save a lot of money. Oh, Teddy, did you get my friend request? Oh, I'll have to check. Aunt Joni's here. For bundling made easy, go to geico.com. All right. uh, Just so you know, this service is sponsored by Geico, so if you could... (laughs) Bundle your home and auto uh, would really help us out because 20% of all the money we take in will go to missions, and it's going to be just wonderful. So anyway, now this commercial made me think, like, do you have an ant problem (laughs) in your life? Uh, Maybe it's not an ant. Maybe you have a friend, a cousin, a parent, someone in your life that's just a little pushy that uh, just kind of weaves their way into your life, and you're just like, hey, I don't, how'd you get here? Like, or, you're, or you're making this decision and this person shows up and you're like, I don't really remember inviting you into this conversation. Well, I, uh, growing up, I had an aunt problem uh, and her name was Aunt Sally. And um, she liked to give me her opinion a lot. Uh, I'll give you one story so you can get a, just an idea of what I dealt with in my childhood with Aunt Sally. Um, it was my eighth grade year. I was starting offense and defense for the eighth grade Woodward football team. Yes, I peaked in my athletic career in eighth grade. (laughs) It was incredible. So it was a hot kind of early September right after Labor Day game. We were playing Smyrna and I went both ways and we lost. That's so sad I even remember this. (laughs) This was from a long time ago. We lost 20 to 13. And anyway, you know, as, as uh, middle school football, you know, all the kind of parents and family kind of come down to the, um, you know, uh, midfield. And I see Aunt Sally to my left, and she makes a beeline right up to our head coach. Um, and I see her start to point at him. Now, that was a big mistake because our head football coach was a guy named Larry Crosswick. Larry Crosswick was our head varsity wrestling coach. Larry Crosswick won multiple state titles in wrestling in central Michigan. You did not mess with Larry Crosswick. He was mean. We were all scared of him. And I think I still have nightmares about Larry Crosswick and all the things he put us through in Woodward. (laughs) My Aunt Sally walks right up to Larry Crosswick, this collision. I'm I'm seeing this. I'm in eighth grade. And she goes, what do you think you're doing? (laughs) 
And, I, and then she begins to berate Larry Croswick about the lack of hydration that these students, athletes, are getting during the game. And she begins to tell him that these kids need water, and you're, they're going to die, and all this stuff. And he's just taken aback. He's probably furious because he lost his first game. But my Aunt Sally just went right in for him. And I'm like, please stop talking. Please stop talking. Please stop talking. Because the more you talk, the worse my life gets. Anyway, fast forward to Monday, that next practice. And he puts us online. Obviously, y'all weren't conditioned. So he starts running us and running us. And this one time I passed me, he goes, that's for your aunt. You know, <laughs> it's like, thanks. So yeah, I have an ant problem. Yes. Um, hey, last month, Jonathan completed an incredible series, Jesus, Prophet, Priest, and King. Please go back and listen to this if you haven't already. It was huge in my life. I loved it. Um, talking about Jesus, Prophet, Priest, and King. This morning, I want to take a few minutes and open the scripture, and I want to look at Jesus as an uninvited guest. And I know that might seem strange, as he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and all this stuff. However, let's just jump into this text and just take it in. And I want, I want to give you a disclaimer. It's so easy to read the words of the gospel and just be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I've, I've read this, I've heard this, but this really happened, y'all. This happened. Um, turn with me, Luke 7, 11 through 17, and it's on the Pew Bible, if you have one, it's right in front of you, page 1026. Luke 7, 11 through 17. And again, this really happened. Here we go. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe. And praise God, a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Amen. That's, I love that. This is one of my favorite stories. I, I love this. And for some reason, um, we don't talk about it a lot, but it is just incredible. It's, it's packed with oh so much. I just want to go over four terms that we kind of see in this story and just highlight this and just talk about that a little bit. First is the town. This town is called Nain. And the biblical meaning of that word means beauty or pleasantness. Now, I've never traveled like many of you maybe have gone to the Middle East and done these wonderful adventures. I um, a little, I'm a little scared of that. I'm not ready yet. You know, maybe the Lord will work on me on that. However, um, I wanted to figure out what was going on. Right before Jesus travels to Nain, he's in a town, at least Luke describes, that he's in a town called Capernaum. So I fired up my Google Maps since I've never been over there. And so I just wanted to show you something. I don't know if you can see that. That is uh, essentially the, the route 
that Jesus traveled. Um, it is, I don't know if you can see that, but it is 47.8 kilometers if you follow the blue line. Um, Google Maps told me there are three other routes um, if we wanted to walk that. Um, but it's all about 47 to 51 kilometers. Um, essentially, that's 30 miles. 30 miles that Jesus and his band of merry men and followers kind of traveled all the way down from Capernaum. So he's traveling from Capernaum down, down, down to Nain. And Nain, if you look at it, if you could kind of zoom in on that, but I didn't, I'm sorry. It's a, it, is a, it is a small, small village. And it is not living up to its name, at least on this day, meaning beauty and pleasantness, because it is dark, it is sad, and there is a lot of crying because they're experiencing a funeral. So Jesus travels all this way down from Capernaum to Nain. Probably took maybe two days journey. I'm not sure. We, we're not sure. Maybe Jesus was a fast walker. But there was no Marta. There was no, you know, any kind of express transportation, that kind of thing. The next thing we see, you can take that map down. The next thing we, we were met with is a widow who we know very little about. She doesn't have a name. However, we know two really, really important things about this widow. She's been to two funerals. She's, she's buried her husband, and now she is literally walking outside the city gate to bury her only son. And I want to be very sensitive right now because I could not imagine anything worse than having to attend, plan, perform one of my children's funerals. I cannot imagine that. I know probably some of you in here have had to do that. And the grief and the, um, just the pain in that, and I'm just so sorry. I cannot even go there. I have four children, and to, to have to do that would be unbearable. So it's plain to see that this widow is experiencing her absolute Worst day. So Jesus travels down, down, down from Capernaum to Nain to a widow in, on her worst day. She is completely alone. And just imagine, can you just imagine with me for a moment what she's thinking as she's walking in this parade of tears to bury her son? She's got to be thinking, I'm so alone. What, what am I going to do now? Back then, it was very obvious. I think you would know this. There was no social security. There were no 401ks. There was nothing. Your family was your way of living. And back then, women did not have anywhere near the rights that they have today. And so this woman, she may, be, she may have been saying, my life is over. What am I going to do? You, might, you know what? You just might as well bury me too. She is absolutely hopeless. Hopeless. But Jesus goes down and meets her on the lowest day of her life. Jesus, Jesus is an up close and personal savior, and Jesus is in the trenches of our deepest pain and very present even on our worst day. So we've got Nain, we've got the widow. Now we have the words of Jesus and what he does, the actions. So Jesus, and again, get the picture, there's this kind of parade of darkness walking out of the city gate going, going to this funeral. But then you have Jesus and his crowd coming. They, maybe they're cutting up. Maybe they're having a good time. And there's, there's a collision. There's a meeting right outside the city gate. Can you just feel it? Can you see this thing? Like something's going to happen. 
Um, maybe they were laughing. Maybe Jesus and his friends were laughing. They, they come over the slope of a hill and they see this, this, you know, this funeral procession. And then all of a sudden it gets real quiet and it gets real tense real quick. I'm not sure about you, but at funerals, I just, I just have a hard time. I, I never know what to do with my hands, so I usually stick them in my pockets, which probably is not a good idea. Um, I never know what to say. Um, it just seems so hollow to just go up to the family and say, I, I'm, I'm sorry, there's just nothing. I just feel so empty, and I want to help them. And, uh, but I just never know what to do. But look what Jesus does. Jesus, if, he, if Jesus is not who he says he is, if he is not God made flesh, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of the world, this is the meanest, cruel thing you could say to a mom who is burying her son. Listen to what he says. He walks, he sees her, and he says, don't cry. He said that. Don't cry. If you say that, you better be ready to do something. Okay, and if you'll notice, uh, this 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 young man's friends, the pallbearers on the coffin, it says they stood still. I don't know if they wanted to put him down and sucker punch Jesus. I'm not kidding. Could you imagine? Could you imagine someone interrupting a funeral and going up to the family and saying, hey, "Don't don't don't cry." He, now it does say he says he says it with compassion, but don't cry. Are you kidding me? Don't cry. I love that every funeral Jesus attends, he interrupts and, and saves the day. It's, it's amazing. Um, but he, but it's the most, he says the most insensitive thing. But then he does something else. He goes up and he touches the coffin, which is absolutely a huge no-no in Jewish culture. That means you are like unclean. You are that filthy. That is terrible. And I don't even know the ramifications for that theologically. It's just awful. So he touches the coffin. And then he says to you, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the young man sits up and he begins to talk. I often wonder, I don't know if you do this in your quiet times or not, but like, what did he say? <laughs> you know what I would say? Hey, does anybody have any gum or a Tic Tac? Like, I mean, it's been like, like, you know, I don't know what he said. We don't know. But he begins to talk. It says, it says that. Um, and when Jesus says arise and the young man gets up, that, that is proof positive to me that this story has to have happened, that Luke is a doctor and he took great pains and went to great length to record all of this stuff. In Luke 1, 4, Luke writes that I am do, I'm doing all this. Here's why I'm doing it. I'm doing this so that you may know with certainty of the things that you have been taught. So if this didn't happen and you're a skeptic or you're not a believer or you don't, this Jesus guy, is, you, you hear all this stuff, you could go down and you could talk to this widow Luke was written, this was happening, Luke was written, and this, this began to circulate in, the, in this time. You could ask, and you could go down, and you could talk to these people, either in, in, the, in Jesus' crowd or the funeral procession, and they would, they would clear, if it didn't happen, they'd say, this is crazy, this is nonsense, this never happened, this was, this was made up. But we're still talking about this story 2,023 years later, because I'm telling you what, this happened. We love and we serve that kind of God who brings life from dead things. That is amazing. So what do we learn? What do we learn about this uninvited guest, Jesus, who comes out of his way to Nain and performs this amazing 
miracle. I, I, I will suggest to you three things. This is what I got, um, and there's lots more. We can talk about it later. First thing I see, I, Jesus, gosh, don't miss this. Jesus is so close. He's so close. He sees the tears in this widow's eyes. He hears the grief-induced sniffles walking to the cemetery outside the gate. He touches the coffin. And this was made of wood. He could have like rubbed his hand on it, gotten splinters in his hand. Do you see how close Jesus is in this situation? He can feel the heaviness and the hopelessness of this fractured family because of, because of death. Do you know that Jesus is that close? Or do you believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus is just kind of up there, uninvolved somewhere? Maybe he's there when I have a big need, but most of the time he's just kind of up there somewhere. No, Jesus is close. Jesus is close. The second thing we see is Jesus is strong. This is not some fairy tale, uh, you know, color in the lines, VBS, uh, Jesus that's, that looks wimpy. No, he is strong. Listen to what he does. No offense, Connie. I'm, my kids are coming to VBS. I, I didn't mean to take a shot at VBS. We love VBS. I just... <laughs> um, but with a word, with a word, arise. He reverses death. And, and, and notice, like, there's no magic. He doesn't do any kind of seance or he doesn't like dance around or like rip his robe or anything like that or, you know, lay prostrate on the ground or call down anything from heaven. No, he just says he goes up to the dead body and says, arise. Look who's in control. Jesus is in control of the whole situation. He walks right into this darkness, right into death and reverses the whole thing. And then look what he does. He's like he's brokering. If you, if you read it closely, it's like he's brokering the deal between life and death. He, give, he literally gives the boy back to his mother. He, he lifts him out of the coffin or maybe lifts him. I don't know how it, how it was performed. But he lifts him up and literally gives him back to his mother with a word. Jesus is strong. Jesus shows up just at the right time. Y'all, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is work. Jesus does the work. We are the dead boy, <laughs> and we receive his grace. We receive his mercy. It's very clear that in we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, and Jesus invades at just the right time, Romans 5, 6, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Just at the right time, just at the right time, he shows up and changes everything, changes this woman's whole future. Lastly, Jesus is really, really good. He's close, he's strong, and he's good. How do I get that? And it's simple. Nobody invited Jesus to the funeral. We don't get any word that anyone from Nain sent out a telegram or he says someone called, called Jesus, this woman's really struggling that was the last thing on their minds. He's so good. He was an uninvited guest, and he shows up at just the right time. He's so good. Yesterday, my daughter was in a ballet performance, and they opened the performance with a, a, an incredible song. I commend it to you. I hope you go listen to it. It's by Phil Wickham, and it's called It's Always Been You. I've heard it, but I never heard it like this because I was thinking about what I was going to be saying this morning. And listen to what it says. All this time, my guardian was you. You are the light that shines in every tunnel. You're there in the past. You'll be there tomorrow. All my life, 
your love was breaking through. It's always been you. He writes a story saying, you've been there the whole time. I didn't know it. It's always been you. In my good days, in my bad days, you, you light up every darkness. He's that good. He's an uninvited guest. And he moves into the neighborhood of your heart and your family and your life. And he brings life from dead places. He's close. He's strong. He's good. He's always been there. But here's the deal. So what? So what? You may be sitting there and say, hey, this is a great story that happened a long time ago, and I'm learning a lot, and maybe a few things I can, tips and tricks and life hacks, I might be able to put it in my life. That's great, but so what? Slate, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm honest with you, I've been struggling for a long time in a job that's pretty meaningless. If I'm honest with you, Slate, my marriage has lost the spark, and I feel we're drifting apart, and I, I don't even know where to turn. If I'm honest with you, Slate, if I'm transparent enough, I have real serious doubts about my faith. Slate, this is wonderful, but guess what? A close family member was diagnosed this week with a terminal illness, and I'm, and I'm struggling. I just heard the words, you have cancer from my doctor. So what? So what? And I want to implore with you, please listen. I want to be ever so gently, but ever so lovingly. Please, Luke did not write the story just so we could read it and be like, wow, wasn't that awesome? No, no, put your story, please, please listen. Do the work. Put your story in this story. Luke wrote this down for us and the people that would read it so that we could have life in his name. Luke knew the story was telling an even greater story for us. This touches every fabric of our life today. Jesus' resurrection power slices through all space and time. Listen to this. He didn't just come down from Capernaum to Nain. He came down from heaven to earth. Uninvited, by the way. No one asked him to come and save the world. He just did it. He didn't just walk up and touch a coffin, making him unclean, which was a huge grievance for the culture. He lived a perfect life for us, and he tasted death for us, not just becoming clean, but he died. He died the death that we deserve. He did that. He didn't just tell a boy to arise. He arose from the dead on the third day. And in so doing, through his mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. That's not my words. That's 1 Peter 1-2. If you don't like it, you can go talk to Peter. That's what he says. Okay? When Jesus, think about this. Oh, you, let's use our imagination. Come on. Come on. When Jesus tells this woman, don't cry, could he in essence... Could he, in essence, be saying, dear woman, you are about to witness an advance on the power of my resurrection. Could he possibly, 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 as he's walking 30 miles down to Nain, be thinking of this verse right here in Revelation 21.4? Look at that. Could that possibly have been on his mind as he lived with, with all eternity? He goes up and says, don't cry. Could he be thinking of this? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying for the old order of things has passed away. Could Jesus be saying right here, I'm going to take an advance on the power of my resurrection and I'm going to suspend and start the, the, excuse me, the destruction of all the old order of things because they're going to pass away. We're going we're to have exhibit A right here. And it's happening in a town called Nain. And it can happen in Atlanta, Georgia also. This past Lent, 
I've been really meditating and, and thinking about <clears throat> a verse. It's Philippians 3.10. We got that up on the screen too. It says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Man, I want to know that. I want to know that more. I want that to take deeper root in my soul and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in death and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. I want to know the power of this resurrection. In Romans 8, 11, it says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in me and he lives in you if you believe this. And so here's a phrase I came up with. I don't know if uh, it will pass in the theology uh, court or not. But in my life, I want an advance on the power of your resurrection, Lord. I've just been starting to pray that. This is new. This is, this is probably hot off the press. This probably isn't something you should do. Um, and, and when you preach, is well, I'm starting, starting this. Try this with me. But no, I want, a, I want an advance on your resurrection power, Lord. Lord, advance your resurrection power in my marriage. Lord, advance your resurrection power in my family that is fractured and broken. Lord, advance your resurrection with the terminal diagnosis that my dad may have just received or my mom may have just received. Lord, I'm sick and tired of bearing these things with our, in my own strength. Could it possibly be for a moment? The reason you may and I may not be realizing the full extent of God and Jesus' resurrection powers because I'm trying to do things on my own strength. I'm trying to fix things in my own power. And it just seems like the harder I work and the more money I throw at things and the more people I consult, the worse it becomes. Maybe God is gently saying, will you let go? Will you trust me? Because I've got power that you have no idea about. And I'm not promising, hear this, I'm not promising that all this is going to get better and, you know, long, you know, the end and we ride off in a horse and carriage or anything. No, 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 no. But I have a power for you to combat and confront all the suffering, all the stuff in your life, everything. It's called my resurrection power. So, Lord, advance your resurrection power in my job. Lord, advance your resurrection power as I deal, as I deal with my own teenagers as aging parents. Lord, advance your resurrection, bringing life from dead places. How do we get it? How do we get it? I think it's the same way we get the Lord's salvation. We ask. I heard a wise man tell me a long time ago, I've never forgotten it. Like, how do you become a Christian? I said, well, Slate, all you need is need and all you need is nothing. I'm like, wait, 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 what? All you need is need and all you need is nothing. Well, I've got a lot of need. <laughs> I think in your life, if you did a quick inventory, there's needs everywhere. And all you need is nothing. You can't bring this king anything. He's done it all. He just shows up. He's an uninvited guest. Allow him into your heart. Allow him into these hard, dark corners of your life. Because all you need is need. And all you need is nothing for the power of the resurrection to take flight in your life. What, what could an advance on the power of the resurrection look like? Well, I want to close the loop uh, on the story of my dear Aunt Sally. Um, come to find out, <clears throat> my dear Aunt Sally uh, was not just nosy in my life. Uh, she was nosy in a lot of people's lives. And um, so get this. She, through her uh, relative that lived outside, I believe in South Carolina, I may have the story a little wrong, 
got to uh, started talking with them, and uh, they had a mutual attorney friend in Atlanta that she met up with, and she heard of a situation about this couple in um, in Georgia that had a baby uh, that could not that did not have the resources for whatever reason to bring this baby along, that kind of thing. So they were looking to adopt. And so she started thinking about that, praying about this kind of thing. And lo and behold, she found a family. And so she, only the way Aunt Sally did, kind of co-brokered some deal with some attorney. I don't understand. And the couple that was looking to have a baby but couldn't was my mom and dad. And I was that baby. And y'all, I shouldn't be here. I don't know where I should be. But I am exhibit A of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ before I even knew it. God was working in my story, in my life as an uninvited guest before I even could take a breath. And he saved me. He brought me into a wonderful family. And I was adopted. And the person I am is because, I, because of what happened behind the scenes a long, long time ago. It's the resurrection power. He makes life come from dead things. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he is an uninvited guest. And when he shows up, he makes things happen. Amen. Let's pray. For a moment, would you just bow your hearts and minds and just do a quick inventory. Where do you need the Lord? Is it in your family? your marriage, your job. Maybe you're just trying to make it. Maybe there's a health issue. Where do you need an advance on the power of Jesus' resurrection? Would you name it? Take a few moments and just name it. Be clear with him. Be honest with him. Let him know he loves you. He knows what's going on. Lord Jesus, I want to know you better, and I want to know the power of your resurrection. Lord, forgive me when I try to take matters into my own hands and try to do things in my own strength. And God, thank you for even fighting through that. Lord, thank you for the fact that you raised this widow's child, but it's for us, and that you're about the business of bringing life from dead places in our own life to give us power to endure, patience to endure, things that on our own strength we couldn't. Lord, we need you this day. Thank you. Thank you that you're alive and you're living and that we can have life in your name. Amen.